0: It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Hello and welcome to the Netcast Podcast, where you will find Bible studies that follow an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and my prayer is that you are encouraged by these lessons from the Word of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. I appreciate so much your willingness to tune in today to another episode of the Netcast Podcast. Today we're going to be studying in Psalm 16, if you want to follow along, and the message is titled, The Life Preserver. In this psalm, we come to what is called a miktam of David, which in the original language simply meant a writing. We can see the beginning of Psalms 56 through 60, and also passages like Isaiah 38 verse 9, which says, A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. That's all this really is as a writing, but there's more to it. This writing serves as a set of poetic words that contain prophetic truths about the Messiah that reveal some details about what happened to Jesus after his death and burial. At the same time, David is writing about some real issues he is facing and trusting God to help him while not realizing the depth of meaning behind his words. Both Peter in Acts 2.25 and Paul in Acts 13.35 reveal the true meaning behind the words found here. These passages read, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. And in Acts 13.35, Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. These men are using these verses that we're reading today in Psalm 16 to apply to the Son of God, Jesus. While it is true that David wrote it, and it may have some initial application to his life, there are certain things mentioned in this psalm that could never apply to David. For example, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. We know that David died and did decay like all other humans that suffer death in the flesh. We will discuss this at greater length today. The title of the lesson, as I mentioned, is The Life Preserver, and the true meaning of the word preserve here is to keep guard and or save. While the psalm applies directly to Jesus and the hope of His resurrection, it is because of His being raised that we also can rest assured that our bodies will one day be raised incorruptible and changed, and we will be immortal in new bodies with eternal life. Let's begin by reading the psalm. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So, as we begin our study, the first point we want to make is there is preservation in prayer. Verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good besides you. David points out that God is our keeper and refuge. We ask God to keep us. Preservation is more than just safekeeping, though. It also speaks of longevity, as in belonging to God. Here David calls God in Hebrew El, which is the name for the one true God. And he is not to be confused with false gods. The Bible teaches us as New Testament Christians that we are kept by the power of God through faith. While others are trying to take life away, David turns to the source of life and sustainer of life in trusting faith. We are kept from the temptations of the evil one and his schemes that are often worked by other evildoers through prayer. And David says he trusts God to hear and do what he is requesting. Now we see that David says the Lord is our only good in life. When you look at what the world offers, it pales in comparison to anything that God offers. David now calls God Yahweh, Lord, often appearing in all caps in your Bible. And then he says, and you are my Lord, a different word, Adonai, which means master. This means David sees himself as a humble servant that seeks to obey the Lord. David is speaking from his inner man, from the soul to God about his needs, and this was not an uncommon thing for David to speak from within his soul. We see it in Psalm 42 and verse 5, which says, "'Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence.'" Then in verse 11 of that same text, "'Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God.'" For I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. There is nothing lasting here on the earth, and so we turn to the everlasting, eternal God who blesses us. And David adds that if it weren't for the Lord, He would have no good thing on the earth. In God's care, He had the best that life could offer. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now we turn our attention to verses 3 and 4, where David talks about preservation in the people of God. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The saints are the majestic ones that David delighted in on the earth. David says that beyond his love for and his trust in God, he also has, as an extension, a great love for the people of God on the earth. These are the excellent ones that David delighted in because they are sanctified, set apart. These are saints, and this fellowship was enriching to David's pursuit of God. David loved those that loved the Lord, and those who the Lord loved, and those that obey the Father are his treasured ones. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his lovingkindness. The world and its wicked relationships would like to pull David away from God, so David chooses to be associated with and find value in being around God's people. Let this be a lesson to us to cherish the family of God that we have in Christ. We are better because of the unity that we have in serving the Lord together. We can be a support to one another with the love of the Lord, encouragement, and even discipline each other to keep us heading in the right direction. God designed the church to be a place where we share our burdens. The sorrowful will have increased sorrow because they don't serve God, but rather worship idols. In contrast to being devoted to the true God of heaven and earth, David states that sorrow as opposed to good things will befall those that serve false gods, offer them sacrifices, and cry out to their names from their lips. These people are not interested in serving the true God who is sovereign over all things. The word for sorrows can also be translated as idols. So as they increase idols, so they also increase their sorrows. And with every new image that they worship or created carving that they cry out to, they would miss out on knowing and experiencing the benefits and blessings of the only real God. To hurry or hasten after another God, which is really no God at all, is the same thing as joining yourself to them or a betrothal or an aligning with this false idol. There is a price to pay for endowment, and according to David, you pay with sorrows. As long as they remain in this error, sorrow multiplies. David also refuses to participate in their pagan rituals of mingling wine and blood in drinking to honor a false god. Drink offerings of water or wine were common to worship to the one true God. And like most false religious practices, they take on similar practices that are twisted versions of the original. Eating or drinking blood was strictly forbidden by God in Genesis 9-4, only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Leviticus 3:17. it says there, It is perpetual statute throughout your generation and all your dwellings. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. And then in Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 10, And any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. And so David would have no part in an act that was an abomination before God. Finally, David makes it clear that not only would he refrain from pressing the cup of air to his lips to drink blood, but he wouldn't even allow the names of these foreign gods to proceed out of his mouth. This, too, was an ordinance in Israel in Exodus 23 and verse 13. Now concerning everything which I have said to you... Be on your guard, and do not mention the name of other gods, nor let them be heard from your mouth. Nothing vile was allowed to enter David, and here he expresses that nothing pertaining to these false gods made from wood, clay, metal, or stone that could offer him absolutely nothing will ever have their names on his lips. God is the only one David would serve, the only one he would cry out to, and the only one he would be found worshiping. Now let's move on to verses 5 and 6, where David says there is preservation in pleasant portions. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Our inheritance, our cup, and our support is the Lord. What truly satisfies David, whatever is his portion, his part, or his cup, is the Lord Yahweh. The Lord to David was all that he wanted for his inheritance. And the reason was that God was the maintainer of his lot in life. He uses the word cup to make the distinction from the bloody wine that worshipers of false gods consume. And David says, keep the wine mingled with blood and let me be filled by God. In essence, David was asking God to fill him up completely. And the Lord was all that David needed. In contrast, those that choose not to serve the one God of heaven and earth will also receive a cup from the Lord, but this one is filled with wrath and indignation. We read about it in Isaiah fifty-one seventeen. Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling you have drained to the dregs. David knew that God was not only good to him here in preserving his life, but God also had blessings reserved for David in eternity. Everything God does is good for his people. We have a pleasant plot and a beautiful heritage. "The lines have fallen for David in pleasant places," he says. He has a beautiful inheritance. Dividing land by lot by stretching lines and plotting markers was a common practice in Israel. You can read about it in numbers 26:55 and numbers 33:54. For a fuller example, you can also look at Joshua 15:1 through4. David feels blessed by God to be in a place where he can serve and honor God, and he feels wealthy to see the pleasant places granted to him. He is truly counting his blessings. When David said the lines have fallen, he is not saying it was by chance or mere luck that he was blessed. He recognizes God as the stretcher of the lines, and everything fell into place because of the divine hand that parceled out the portion that he now enjoys. Moving on now to verses 7 to 9, David says there is preservation in God's presence. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. The Lord counsels the godly in the night hours. What a unique concept. In verse 7, David says that he blesses the Lord in return for the blessings that God has been to him. God has been a good counselor to David. And when we don't know which way to turn and we are surrounded by so many poor options in a wicked world, David is grateful for guidance from above. David was in love with God's word and he meditated on it often, that it was his constant thought. And here he reflects on his gratefulness and being provided with direction to do what is right. He is able to be mindful of the will of God when he needed it the most. David said that his mind recalls the sweet teachings of God when the world shuts down and David finds himself staring up as he is in bed at night. Before he closes his eyes in sleep, God probes the heart and the mind. It says in Psalm 7, verse 9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. God tests our hearts and our minds, the Bible says, in Jeremiah 11.20 also. But O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tries the feelings and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you have I committed my cause. And God knows if we yearn for him or not, according to Job 19.27. Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another, my heart faints within me. In Psalm 17:3, which we will explore in greater detail in our next episode, Lord willing, David says, You have tried my heart, that is, you put my heart to the test. You have visited me by night. You have sifted me, and you find nothing, that is, nothing evil. So my intent is that my mouth will not offend. We can use this valuable time at night for counting sheep to fall asleep, or to fall further in love with God and His Word as we contemplate divine truths about God And his goodness toward us. When the Lord is continually before us, as he was before David, we cannot be shaken. David is not only contemplating God at night, David said, The Lord is continually before me. God is at the very top of David's priority list at all times. He lived in the very presence of God. He is on my right hand, David says, suggesting that he is in control, in power, and he is protecting David. And when God is perpetually in your presence, You cannot be moved or shaken from your place. David realized that he not only desired the presence of God, but that God was ever-present. God is the all-knowing, all-seeing eye, and our life is laid bare before him anyways. So with the knowledge that God was watching, David had no fear of what man might try to do to him to bring him harm. We read about this in Psalm 109, verse 31. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save him from those who judge his soul. And then in Psalm 110, verse 5, The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. And then in Psalm 121, verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The point is, you will never shake a man or woman of God that trusts in him on this level. In Psalm ten six, it seems that the wicked often think that they will not be shaken or moved or never come into adversity, but yet there's a judgment day awaiting them. We must trust in God. Because of His presence, I can be glad and rejoice and dwell securely. God's protection produces a gladness of heart, a tongue that rejoices, and our flesh can have hope. Resting in hope does not only refer to the sleep of death for the righteous in anticipation of a future glorious resurrection, but it literally means that we dwell securely wherever that dwelling might be. Security comes from knowing that God is sovereign over all things. In hope, we are confident that even in Death's Valley, we are hopeful because it was prophesied of old that God's people would live again. In Isaiah 26 and verse 19, we read, Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. In Daniel 12:2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. The fifth point that we want to share today comes from verses 10 through 11, where David says that there is preservation in the path of life. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever." We are not simply going to die and go to some nether world. David is making a prophetic pronouncement that he knew would eventually apply to him. He states, For you, God, will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And you can also see the word corruption for that. Sheol was the netherworld of the place of the dead. And the reason that we know that this was messianic in scope is because of the way this passage is applied in the New Testament. If you turn your Bible open to Acts chapter 2, Beginning in verse 22 and reading down through verse 36, you'll see that Psalm 16 is the primary quotation of the Apostle Peter. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death." But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, and then he quotes Psalm 16. Now let's jump down to verse 29. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne... He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now I know that these are lengthy readings, but we have to turn our attention now to Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 39. Listen carefully. Brethren, "'Sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, "'to us the message of this salvation has been sent. "'For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, "'recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, "'which are read every Sabbath, "'fulfilled these by condemning him. "'And though they found no ground for putting him to death, "'they asked Pilate that he be executed. "'And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, "'they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. "'But God raised him from the dead.' And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy, sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, here referring to Psalm 16, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Now take note that in both of these passages, the point is made that David died and his body saw decay like all other human deaths. And the proof was that his tomb could be visited and his remains would still be found there. Paul and Peter taught that Jesus was in the tomb for three days, and then he was raised, not having to undergo the process of fleshly decay or corruption. But this doesn't mean that David doesn't rest in hope as well. Jesus was the first to be resurrected, and we hope in our own resurrection one day. Men of faith in God have always believed that God could raise the dead. We see an example of this in Hebrews eleven nineteen. It says, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which He also received Him back as a type. My body might lie in the ground, but my soul is not extinct. The soul lives on and lives forever. Sheol, as commonly translated hell, is not the same thing as the place of torment in the lake of fire. Jesus, upon his physical death, told that thief that had just asked him to remember him when he came into his kingdom, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke twenty three forty three. Jesus would not depart from this world and his soul be left in the realm of the dead, sometimes referred to as Hades. He would find comfort in paradise until the day he was raised up, just like all the faithful who are still anticipating the day when we are all raised from the dead and face the final judgment. Those who are in Christ will not be condemned, but granted entrance into heaven. Those who have never served God and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ will be punished with everlasting fire and be cast away from the presence of the Lord. So what we have learned together today is that Jesus was the Holy One in prophecy here that would not see decay. He was often referred to as the Holy One of God in passages like Mark 1, and Acts 3:14. And those who are wicked will not only suffer the death of the body, but they will also suffer a second death of the soul. Psalm 55, verse 23 says, But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half of their days, but I will trust in you. Jesus never saw corruption, and he was raised and then ascended and was seated at the right hand of his Father. Those that serve the Lord as David did will experience the death of the body, but even after the outer tent is destroyed and we return to the dust of the ground, we have an eternal body in heaven that is not subject to decay because it will be immortal and imperishable. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 to 13 Peter tells us that prophets like David didn't really comprehend what they were revealing in the unfolding of the gospel of Christ. It says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This passage specifically mentions that the Spirit of Christ was in them, that is, these prophets pointing to the suffering of the Messiah and the glories to follow. And so God shows us the way to live life here on this earth, but also to anticipate the life to come. Instead of seeing corruption, the path of life is made known, and in the presence of God there is the fullness of joy and pleasures at His right hand. Again, a place of strength, power, and safety. This will be never-ending bliss that awaits the righteous. This is made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we are told when we share in His death through obedience to the gospel and baptism, we are also guaranteed a resurrection like His by the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. In Christ we are made alive, not only spiritually, but one day we will be raised incorruptible. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. Paul said, "...in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Then we will enter heaven, and before the face of the Lord there is going to be complete and everlasting joy." This joy is certainly in contrast to the multiplied sorrows of those that never serve the one true God of heaven and earth, and they are denied access to a home in heaven with the Lord. They will instead be lost in the real hell, prepared for the devil and his angels, and at that point there will be no time to repent. When Jesus died and was raised, He ascended into heaven, and as we mentioned a moment ago, He was seated at the right hand of His Father. The Bible confirms this in Mark 16:19. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 1, 3 it says, And He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the word of His power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We who are in Christ are already seated with him in heavenly places. We are told that just as Jesus sat down on the right hand of his father on his throne, we will sit with Christ on his throne one day. There we will be with him forever. We are reigning with him on the earth, but one day we will see him as he is face to face, and there we will always be with the Lord. Right now, we set him continually before us at our right hand, but one day, he will set us at his right hand, where there will be perpetual joys and unending pleasures. And just as Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, David and other faithful believers in God will persistently face this world and its challenges by setting their mind on things above. The same glory that Jesus entered into is promised to all of the saints that serve him faithfully. What a day that is going to be. Thank you for listening. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to let you know that in season six of the podcast titled Psalms of Life, I have a unique offer that relates to this series. If you partner with Netcast during this season, you will receive the outline for each episode and accompanying PowerPoint files to guide you in your personal Bible study. If you want to partner with me or donate, please send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash netcast, to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. You can also visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcasthost for a one-time donation to support the show. Thank you in advance. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, please subscribe and listen to each episode. Next, share the podcast with friends and family and ask them to subscribe. What can really be helpful is a review from you, telling others what NetCast has meant in your spiritual growth journey. Your feedback can encourage others to listen. Be sure to visit our website at netcasthost.com for transcripts of the podcast episodes on the blog and so much more. Visit our Facebook page, YouTube page, Twitter, and Instagram page to be notified of all new content at the NetCast podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ our Lord.